chapter 4. You'd have to understand the context of the entire book. I'll try to say it in just a few words. Paul is making no bones about it in chapter 1 that these Galatians who were being taught by what we know as Judaizers, that in order to be saved, a man must come to Christ spiritually, but also become a Jew physically through circumcision. Paul, who was a Jew, circumcised the eighth day in the tribe of Benjamin, told him, no, no, not so. The salvation is God's free gift by grace plus nothing. It is what God bestows upon us when he gives us life. Keep in mind, apart from Christ, the Bible teaches that you are dead in sin. Nothing, nothing will minister to you at that point except life. Life comes from God with the forgiveness of sin. Don't, don't ever forget that when you're discussing your salvation and how you're saved. It is a gift of life to people who are dead in trespasses and sin. Now all that's in Ephesians chapter 2 for you to see verses 1 through 10. So please, please make note of that. It's very important. Paul thought it very important here in this particular uh, city of Galatia to let them know that, wait just a minute, salvation was God's promise through Abraham's seed. And that seed would be in Isaac, and here are his words, not mine, through Isaac, that the purpose of election might be filled. Those are the words of God to tell me and to tell you that we are saved by an act of Almighty God where life is given, grace is given, and even the very faith that you have right now, you didn't manufacture it. It was God's gift to you. And that is so important to understand that. It, it is not a life of rituals or ritualism. It is not a life of legalism. This is the book where Paul writes in chapter 5, to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free from all of that. The law says you've sinned. Grace says you're saved. And nothing but grace. So Paul tries to draw an illustration. And he talks about the bondage that a sinner's under with respect to the law. I'm going to read you his words in Galatians 4.1. Listen to what he reminds them of their Jewish heritage. And, and their laws. And he says, I mean that an heir, H-E-I-R, an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. How so? How so? You say, all of this is yours. Not yet. He's an heir, but he hasn't come in to inheritance yet. He's an heir only in name. Maybe down the road somewhere, he'll come and receive his inheritance. Yes. But not now. He's still in bondage and needs the act of someone else 
to set him free. In this case, it's his father. So read that again, knowing what I just shared with you. The heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Did y'all get that? Please respond back to me. It, it helps you get out earlier uh, if you do. Then it says, in the same way. In the same way. What way? He's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. You were in sin, dead in sin, and could do nothing about it to save yourselves. Enslaved in this worldly system. But, watch this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God yeah I just got you honed in brother I'm just thinking about you look, 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 look at this this is friendship thing not, not that he's any worse off than the rest of us I don't mean that this, look at this try to get this I'm telling you, in all good ways, it'll make you lose your religion. <laughs> and, and Lord, there's some, uh, some we need to lose. Uh, look at this. He's going to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. And because you're sons of God, excuse me, and because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Thank God we've got a father today that is eternal, that is deep an endless compassion that can't show forth enough mercy. He gave all he had and continues to pour himself out generation after generation to those who come to him. And he uses the most uh, uh, incredible phrase, one word, a legal term in Holy Scripture, that word uh, adoption. So you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, I, I am a son by adoption. Did y'all get that? You are a child of God by adoption. Now, if that doesn't tell you anything at all, it ought to tell you that your salvation was first God's choice, not yours. And if you get that out of perspective, your whole theological system is pickles. I mean, they just, it, it ain't good. He'll just wad your mouth up and give you nothing, all right? Get this. Go to an adoption agency. How many three-day-old babies reach out their arms and say, Mia, since you came to adopt me, I want you as my mama. That don't happen. That don't happen. It's mama and daddy that say, we choose this one. We choose this one right here. Most incredible thing. Now, some of you are going to have to hold on to your seat. You might get real nervous, but you'll be all right by Monday. When you adopt a child under Jewish law, 
You have to give him your name. What else am I about to say? You can't take him back. You cannot take him back. So we have the promise of God in a physical realm and a physical term and a legal term adoption that we have in the spirit. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can anybody in here say amen? This is what God was up to when the fullness of time had come. If you study the early Roman history, you'll, you'll see that it was in this century, in these days, that the first postal system, postal system the world had ever known had been devised. They didn't call it the Pony Express. I don't know what they did call it, but I do know that they could communicate with each other through mail. I, I knew and I've read too where it might take a month for it to go 50 miles, but it could get there. The first highway system in ancient Rome was opened during these days. God took care of every single detail. Not only is God coming to earth at this particular time, but he's coming at a time when everybody in the Roman Empire can get the news out that Jesus Christ has come and communicate the gospel to the known world. Uh, that's how it happened, and that's when it happened. And I know sometimes we're all strung out about time, and we don't like the word wait, especially when we read that verse that said a day is with God, a day is with God is a thousand years. I mean, what if you just read that verse? It says in Second Peter three, don't you know that a day is with the Lord as a thousand years? And you go to the Lord and ask him for something, and God looks at you and says, uh, I'll do it tomorrow. Let that sink in just a minute. Tomorrow might be a thousand years down the road. Uh, that's pretty scary, but what does it do? What does it do tell us? What does it really tell us? That at God's time, God became a man. And that's what I want you to think about this morning as we consider. This morning, just some of the highlights of the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And I know I've already taken 15 minutes since I got up here, but or at least 10. But I want to give you three particulars just to focus on during this season, maybe share with your family <coughs> and with your children. The first comes in the form of prophetic proclamations. Let's consider this just a moment. We cannot possibly... discuss all of the prophetic words of Christ from the Old Testament. But we got to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible and chapter 3 and verse 15 to see that as man sinned and as man brought death upon himself and anyone else and everyone else who would come after Adam, God already before even that time had prepared to send himself God the son Jesus to die in our place and he used those words that Satan what you've done is deadly what you've done is doomed man what you've done is separated God and man they used to meet in the cool of the day they used to fellowship and walk together but Satan an interloper a liar 
and a deceiver and the father of all lies. Stepped in, convinced them of one thing. Just consider, do you believe God really said that? All he did was cast doubt on the integrity of the word of God. The same thing he does today, even in churches and universities and in liberal circles that have completely shut out the directives of God from their lives. Listen to me. That's all he did. That is all he did. He said to Eve, the, you, you, you won't surely die. Really? But man did die that day spiritually. He also died that day eternally. If God doesn't come looking for him, he's doomed. And you won't find anywhere in your scripture where Adam went looking for God. You will find he was hiding. You will find he was trying to cover his own sin or the effects of it with his own little, well, I've called it to you before, little homemade green fig leaf miniskirt. And it wouldn't work. You will find, however, though, mercy and grace demonstrated when God went looking for him and said, here, man, where are you? Where are you? And then God told him how this must be handled. He said, I will bind Satan that did this to humanity through the seed of a woman. But women don't have a seed. What in the world is he talking about? He is prophesying right there. And anybody that's read their Bible through and through knows this. And I know you know it. But it's Christmas time and I like talking about it again. That Christ would come. God would be manifest in the flesh. How? Through the miraculous conception God the Holy Spirit would conceive that baby in a woman and, and, and would come forth from this woman. That's a prophecy right there of nothing less than the virgin birth. And I'll tell you something, guys. You better get nervous when somebody tells you that the virgin birth is not important. If there's no virgin birth, listen to me, the blood that flowed through the veins of Jesus was the blood of a sinner or it was the blood of God. Conceived of the Holy Spirit means it was the blood of God and not the blood of Jesus. Jump a few thousand years to Matthew where you read that Joseph took Mary as the angel directed him and knew her not. No intimate contact until after Jesus Christ was born. Are you hearing me? Yes, the virgin birth makes all the difference between Christ being a sinner or a savior. Because if he wasn't born of a virgin, He's no different than any of us. Please, please. And that works both ways. If somebody tells you that even though you profess faith, uh, you are now are a little God, uh, no, no, you've got man's blood flowing in you. You've sinned. That's really another sermon. I shouldn't have chased that rabbit. But since we got him, let's move on and look at yet another prophecy. I, I, I love this uh, particular thing in Micah where he makes no doubt. Listen to this. This Messiah that's coming is coming from the little city of Bethlehem. You heard him sing about it a little bit ago. It was not a silent night from Mary's perspective anyway. 
but born in Bethlehem. Does anybody in the house know what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. So out of heaven, down to earth, the bread of life is born in the city of bread, Bethlehem, just like the prophet said it would be 650 years before it even happened. So there you have a picture. God is saying to Israel all along, Messiah's coming, Christ is coming, I, God, am coming. Don't forget, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He is fully God. That's orthodox Christianity. You won't find any of our early church fathers preaching anything but that. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He came to reveal the Father and told his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I've come to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On and on and on, he presents his Father in his work, in his worship, in his lifestyle. It was all about his Father, God, and he himself being God, the Son. The visible form, the Scripture says, of the invisible God is no less than the virgin-born Jesus Christ. Born in Bethlehem, like Micah said he would be. And then <coughs> I take you to another prophecy of uh, Isaiah chapter 7, where we're told, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, you learned as a kid, <clears throat> excuse me, what Emmanuel means. Anybody want to say it out loud? God with us. God with us. Catch that. Don't forget that. And don't let anybody in any kind of discussion about moral issues or social issues tell you that Jesus Christ never addressed certain issues that are controversial today. There's not a single issue he didn't address. He authored Holy Scripture from Genesis 1 to the last verse in the Revelation. He knows every single word in that and has known it from eternity past as God who inspired the Scripture. You know we've said this more than once. If you're going to look at what God said, you can't leave out a word Jesus said, not a word. And if you're going to discuss whether Jesus addressed every issue or not, then read every single word in the Scripture. You'll find out that as author of Scripture, he left nothing unturned. His essence, his nature, he is God with us. And then yet there's more prophecy. And that's too in Isaiah chapter 9, where Isaiah 850 years said it, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake. Don't let anybody con you into the idea that Jesus was just another prophet like Islam teaches. And like Mohammed taught, 
Jesus Christ, we're told. Check this. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Are we good to go on now? There's so many from the prophetic realm, so many proclamations. You can just go on and on, and so many pictures, pictures of crossing a Red Sea at the very spoken word of God. Pictures throughout the book of Ruth about a kinsman redeemer saving not just Jews only, but Moabites, mixed breeds of people as we see the story of the kinsman redeemer in Ruth. It's all there in Jesus Christ. Pictures of a husband who loved the worst of wives, the prostitute wife of Hosea, and the command to go get her, bring her back, and redeem her. This is what Christ has done for every sinner. Listen to me. This is why he came, to reveal the Father and to redeem the fallen. Please, please, please don't leave that out of your Christmas. It's all there in Holy Scripture. But the point that I want you to get is all of this was laid out in Scripture centuries before he ever came through prophetic revelation. Now then, second, I want you to look at how they came to him. I'm convinced. That in the world, that everybody that shouts ain't all that spiritual. Now, I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to. Lord, you know Jim won't be mean. Nobody except TV preachers. But I, I'm just, I'm just, remember the days of walking home from school and the stories I've told about that so many times. How we'd get stopped for those long trains coming out of U.S. Steel in Birmingham. They'd load up all of that slag out of that blast furnace and take it across the city to the sloss furnaces, to Vulcan materials where the gravel had vulcanized. And, and, and we'd just have to stand there and look at it. Just stand there and wait and wait. And sometimes the train would come to a stop and, and we could jump between the cars. But if we got caught, we'd jump higher than that when Daddy got a hold of our rear end. Uh, we, we, we had to just wait for that train to go by. Now, here's the uniqueness about the train. The engines come by, they were loud because they have those, you know, as a horn. And, and then the loaded boxcars just couldn't hear them. It was the empty boxcar that was always the loudest. So just shouting don't spell much. It don't mean a lot. Empty boxcars can make a lot of noise. And not all people who just sit with their hands folded are bad people. You don't know, know that. See, there, look at you. There's three or four of you got your arms folded. You're ready to stay a while. I, I'm not saying, look, here is what you have to do to worship. I will say two things. It wouldn't hurt anybody here to liven up. Uh, it, it wouldn't hurt, I promise you. I think the building can take it. I think the community can take it. It wouldn't hurt you one bit to liven up. And I will say this. Some of you bad stuck in rut. I mean, just, uh, it's not going to do it. Because you're more fearful 
of the people sitting beside you and what they think than you are of God who lives within you and what he might think. And I just want to bring all this out to show you how these people came to Jesus Christ. It started with the angels. Can you just hear the, what were the first words of the angels that Gary read earlier this morning? I'll, I'll quote you what we think they were sometimes, at least I'm convinced. Now, beloved brethren, God has come. Let all the earth keep silence. So we ain't said nothing since Jesus left. I've been saved. Really? No, the first words were glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Why? He told the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And what the shepherds say, oh, we don't want any of that, man. We got, we got all we need right here. We got it all right. All we can do is read our Bible and look what God used to do. And we're perfectly happy sitting right here with these old stinking sheep. That ain't what they said. <coughs> that shepherd, one of the least, to get to Bethlehem. And getting to the house of bread, the scripture says, and there they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And all they could say was glory to God. I don't know how you can stand in the presence of God Almighty and not at least grunt. Well, she, one person. It just... But that won't necessarily define you, but it sure help a lot of other people sitting around. Maybe you need to run over to John's Gospel, chapter 12, where Jesus prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Lord, I'm not praying this for myself, but so these others behind me might hear and might believe. Folks, I got to tell you, when they heard of Christ, they run to him, and they couldn't say anything less than glory to God in the highest. Glory, an anthem of praise before God. Look at Mary. Just keep reading Luke chapter 2. I mean, Luke chapter 2 is filled with supernatural revelations of God to individuals. Are y'all okay? Everybody's good? Now, we, we got to talk a minute. And, uh, okay. There was a great controversy in the first century about Mary. And it went on into the second century and the third century. And it lingers today. The Bible says that she gave birth to Christ as a virgin. Virgin having conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible teaches that afterwards that she had other children by Joseph. And it gives their names, and they grew up in the house together. So, you know, the idea that Mary is a perpetual virgin is not true, according to Holy Scripture. There are traditions that brought that, not truth in Holy Scripture. Now, the way to validate that is to look and see what she said herself. 
and it's all recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, if I can get to it quickly. Uh, I'll just read it to you and give you the verse. And I can't get to it quickly. Because I've got marked up. But here's what she said. She said, I do, my soul does now rejoice. Now listen to what she said about her own son. Are you ready? It's there. Go get it. Luke chapter 2. My soul does now rejoice in God my Savior. She called her son God. She said that baby in the manger was her Savior. She died. Why? The soul that sins, it, it dies. Well, there's some that didn't believe she died. So they created a day, put it on the calendar in 1951, called the Day of Assumption, where they assumed Mary was just carried to heaven. No, Mary said herself that she had found her God and her Savior and that was her son, Jesus Christ. There is one, one person who came into this earth without sin. That is Jesus Christ. There is one mediator. I'm quoting Holy Scripture to you, not tradition. Scripture takes precedence over any tradition. It always has. And the theological truth, the historical truth, is there's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. So Mary, when she sees what's happened, wrapped in swaddling clothes, there is God, her Savior, and she rejoiced to name him Jesus, Jesus. And what does that word mean? You'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus means salvation. Salvation. It's so important that we rejoice and God didn't just come up with this thing at the last minute. It's planned in eternity past. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's pictured in the Old Testament. And then it's separated by individuals when the event happens. Look at Simeon, uh, the priest there in the temple. Man, let, let, me, let me read you what he said. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Would you look at this? This is the reason churches are dead as full in the morning right now. Everything we read about the early believers and the early church has to do with what the Holy Spirit was doing. We call our meetings to see what we can do. That sounds critical. That sounds caustic. I don't mean to sound like negative at all, but God help us. He engineered us to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to work in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit. We don't have to be scared of perfect God, God, the Holy Spirit. And in this day, here's this Holy Spirit saying to this Simeon there that, that <coughs> he would not see death before he had seen, listen, Check it out in Luke chapter 2. Get this straight. A lot of you don't know this. In verse 26. He won't see death until he first sees the Lord's Christ. 
and he came in the spirit. Well, boy, he is in a mess, Brother Gary. It, he, he, it's, he's had revelation by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death. He's had a revelation by the Holy Spirit that he'd see the consolation of Israel. And now in verse 27, it says, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to their custom of the law, this was on the eighth day, uh, he took, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms. Uh, I'm going to read you what he said about Jesus on the eighth day. So catch this. And now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. <laughs> he said, I've seen Jesus. Man, I'm ready to die. Uh, I think that's kind of nice. Because if you ain't seen him, you ain't ready to die. Uh, this is, you, better get, you better catch this. You come into this world without him, but you don't want to leave this world without him. And Simeon's sitting here holding this eight-day-old baby. Said, wow, everything God said. Folks, this is a historian writing this. A, a doctor as well, Dr. Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us a historical truth. God told this man he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel. Now Simeon's confirming it in verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for, verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. Who is he talking about? Say it out loud. He's talking about Jesus. I'm sitting here looking at the salvation of the Lord that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. They're already talking about Gentile conversions on the eighth day. This is before Saul was ever knocked off the horse. A long time before. And for glory... To your people Israel and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. What an incredible sight. You got a baby in your house. Catch this. That is no less than God. Listen to what the priest is saying about him. He's the salvation of the Lord. And mine eyes have seen him. Well, we move from the shepherd's response and Simeon's response, Mary's response. Let's talk about the women in the church for just a moment. You ladies, give me your eyes. Don't hurt y'all to get excited either. Matter of fact, Usually the women get more excited than the men anyway. But, but listen to the role of Anna in the book of Luke. There was a prophetess, Anna, verse 36, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And you see, this 84-year-old woman can't go nowhere but church. Not because she has to, but because she loves God himself. And she loves life, life in the Lord. And verse 38 says, and she coming up, at that very hour, 
she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for <coughs> the redemption of Jerusalem. Folks, can you see this? Everything connected to the coming of Christ was so supernatural. Angels from heaven, the shepherds on the earth, the priest in the temple, the prophetess in the temple, Mary, the mother. Oh, by the way, I'm sure you've heard this. But months before he was born, there's a little fetus, an unborn baby, in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, that when he heard the news of the birth of Christ prophesied to his mother from Mary. He began to leap in his mother's womb. Have you ever thought that the first testimony of Christ and his advent and his coming was given by an unborn baby let that sink in what an incredible the whole earth is full of his glory heaven and earth are joined together witnessing his glory well there's a bunch more but let's move from their celebration and this is what I want you to carry home with you. It's perfectly fine when you hear of Jesus and meet him and come to know him that you publicly celebrate him. How many of you would just be the more blessed if we here would just come to a new discovery of how to celebrate Jesus? Three of you? Three. Okay. We'll check you out. Four. Catch, catch this. Because you, you move from those prophetic proclamations throughout the Old Testament to the personal experiences of praise by the priests and the prophetess, the shepherds, the mother of Jesus, John the Baptist, not to mention the angels to finally, at least for today, the worship that was prompted. I, I spent a lot of time with that last week. I don't spend much time with today. But I think the most significant thing with respect to worship is found in Matthew's account of the wise men that traveled so far to get to Jesus. They put out such an effort to go miles and miles and hundreds of miles over a period of months. And listen to me. Just to get in the same house with Jesus and bow down and bring him gifts as they worshiped. 
You can't make this stuff up. But there's a spiritual, and I won't tell you it's not literal, but I, 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 I use it, I guess, because I like it. After these guys that put out such an effort to worship and such an effort to give, and they gave their best. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh aren't secondary gifts in the first century. They're not leftovers. They're, they're the best. But they did it. And then it says they departed. <coughs> and an angel of the Lord appeared to them in a dream and warned them that Herod was up to no good and would ultimately seek the death of all the babies. Y'all know the story. And it said, having experienced that dream supernaturally, they went back a different way than what they had come. I know that's talking about demographics, but let's just transplant that into spiritual victory. Once having seen Jesus, they were different. And they went back a different way. It's like saying, okay, we've seen Jesus, so we found a new direction. I mean, you've got to consider Herod was king. He was top dog. But they weren't listening to him anymore. They were listening to the king of kings now. The Lord of lords, as revealed by an angel supernaturally. So I'm going to close all this out right now by reminding you that if our encounters with Christ are all predicated on the natural and what we can do, they're not genuine. Worshiping Jesus today is still a spiritual act. Salvation today is still a spiritual act of God. Praise today is still an act ordained of God. Uh, you know, if you're going to see supernatural things, you're going to have to open up your heart to the fact that God is bigger than any of us. He's never ceased to be God, and he's still, he still, because he is God, operates through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit must define our worship. It's the Spirit that calls us to repentance and faith. It's the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. I am telling you, I can look through this whole Bible, and I cannot find a person who really knew Christ that was unintimidated and not ashamed and not afraid to praise Him and worship Him. And that's what the first Christmas was all about. We got to get to him. We got to get to Bethlehem. It took some one day, the shepherds. It took the wise men months. But we've got to get to him. And they never were the same when they got to him. The scripture tells us that if any man is in Christ, he too is a new creature. That old things are passed away and all things have become new. Let's pray together. Father, in a moment, we're going to
demonstrate our faith through obedience to Holy Scripture and Holy Communion, where we remember in a tangible way why you came, where, where you sat with the disciples the night you were betrayed, before you were mocked and spit upon 30-plus years after your birth, and you took the bread and you broke it. You said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it. This is my blood in this cup, the blood of the new covenant. You drink. And how you blessed it, saying to us that this baby born in Bethlehem was God. God who could not sin. He was God who absorbed wrath for us. It, it was God who paid for our sin with that body and with that shed blood. And it is that blood of Jesus which takes away the sin of the world. So God, as we come today to take of the cup and during this Advent season, and take the bread. I pray it wouldn't become mundane to us. I pray it wouldn't become routine in a fleshly sense. I pray it would be a constant reminder of what you've done for us and the vows we made with respect to what we do for you. I thank you for the Christmas season. We love it. And I pray you bless it. But I pray that we get the full meaning as best as we can as humans of why Jesus came. When he came, that, that's secondary as to why he came. Who he was that did come matters more than all. God helps us to hear the words. Emmanuel. God with us, in Jesus' name, amen. Ben, you come. Jason's up there somewhere. He can come down to help us this morning. Travis and Brock and them had to leave. And son, if you'll come on down, uh, just take the cup. And Jason can take this cup. I'll do the bread. Let me ask you, Gary, Teresa, do you know if anybody's in the nursery in your door?